0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. 2019, when I announced my retirement, I, I really was retiring. For me, when I find something I'm focused on, I can't stop. In the car, I have yet to experience that, that, that like real fear.
1: You'd go as far as five, five full-time years?
0: I'm only gonna get better.
1: champion 83 nascar cup series wins and without a question a first ballot hall of famer so why did jimmy johnson move to the uncharted waters of indycar we're here to find that out my name is andrew curland and this is next level where we are chatting with some of the coolest people in america who live their lives boldly and man What an awesome first episode this is with Jimmy Johnson. I had the chance to sit down with him before his first start in the Indianapolis 500. And there were so many things that I feel like all of us learned from that conversation, whether he was necessarily ready for this IndyCar career come November 2020. Uh, That's something that we will find out. It's been fun for all the NASCAR folks to be able to follow his progress over these last couple of years, had the chance to sit down with him before his first start in the Indianapolis 500 and and what a great conversation you guys are about to listen to so many eye opening moments um, going into this interview. There were so many things that I just wanted to know about Jimmy. Why? Why retire from NASCAR? Why start completely over? You'll hear him use the phrase "humble pie," and having to eat a slice of humble pie uh, in this IndyCar career. Why put yourself through that and have to learn a completely new series, new car? I can't wait for everyone to listen to this. This was filmed, like I said, before Jimmy's first start in the Indy 500. We we shot this in the basement of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum and what a cool location that was you'll hear in the very beginning we're talking about a race car that's behind us and we had we had the opportunity there there were so many different cars from not only indycar history but nascar history down there we were walking past race-winning cars from the Andrettis, the Foyts, the unsers everything was down there. And we got a chance to put one car behind us for this interview. And I talked with Matthew Dillner about it, and I think everyone came to a conclusion that That we decided to put a 1914 Duesenberg special as our backdrop. So if you have a chance to check out this episode on YouTube, you'll hear us talking about that car at the very beginning. But man, what a cool window into the history of this race. And I think that that's what made this interview all that more special is just we were surrounded by so much history. So I can't wait for everyone to hear this conversation. It is heart to heart. And at the end of the day, well, <laughs> it's next level. Take a listen. And look at that. That's 1914. Ran in the Indianapolis 500.
0: You believe that? That's brave. On bricks.
1: Yeah, on bricks. On bricks. Yeah. I mean, come a long way
0: <laughs> from yeah. that. I haven't looked, but I doubt there's a seatbelt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> or it's not very good one. Not very good, <laughs> either. yeah. Piece of cloth. Yeah. How does it feel like running a historic race like that?
0: To be here, you know, I've I've been to this track many times, and there is a energy when you pull in and drive through the tunnel and pull in the track, and I've I've felt very fortunate to experience it. NASCAR and the Brickyard Four Hundred is you know one of the biggest races in NASCAR, so I, I feel very fortunate to have experienced experienced it. But I, I have come to realize, especially after attending last year's Indy Five Hundred, that there's another level, <laughs> next level. <laughs> it uh. And I, I, as a fan, last year, and worked in the booth with NBC, experienced it, and left here thinking, I have to do this. Like, I know I didn't think I wanted to do it, it but I, I have to do it. And I went, went to work and better understood the safety. And, and then, of course, once I got comfortable with the safety of the car, I started testing on ovals, and a lot of things had to happen after that. But I am so excited to stand on the front straightaway, here back home again in Indiana, you know, Drivers start your engines. Like that moment, and to be able to live it firsthand in comparison to all the years as a fan watching it, um, I, I can't believe that moment's gonna happen. The,
1: the fanfare and everything that comes with it, you've never experienced as a driver, and you, you've, you've kind of previewed what that's gonna be like, but what do you think that moment will actually be like standing on the grid come race day?
0: The front straightaway of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the most intimate part of any racetrack that I've experienced. I mean, you have fans on um, both sides, it's like a tunnel on the front stretch and you can hear anyone. I mean, anyone can get your attention if they want to. I mean, it's, it's, everything is that close and compressed. So to have a full house here, um, and to, I've never seen 300 plus thousand people in <laughs> one place. So uh, I think it's just gonna be insane.
1: What's your earliest memory of the Indianapolis 500?
0: I can't remember the year, but my grandfather, uh, my dad's father was a huge A.J. Foyt fan and I remember him pulling me onto the couch. Uh, they would stop through Southern California and visit us. They were retired and had a home in Arizona and would drive from Arizona up the coast fishing all the way to Canada and then return uh, in the winter. And as they would pass through town on their way north, they would they would stop and you know, in May, I remember my grandfather being at our house and just pulling me in like, that Foyt. You, you want to know what a man's like. That A.J. Foyt, he's a man. So that's like one of my first memories. And I, I feel like it was the year A.J. jumped out of his car and started hammering on the uh, the right front suspension with a hammer. It, it was either that year or maybe they were showing a highlight light of it. But I, I remember him pointing that out to me and just thinking, you know, A.J. Foyt's the man.
1: Was IndyCar growing up, was that the dream, I know you, you, you raced everything from two wheels to stadium super trucks and obviously a, a seasoned career in NASCAR. Where did IndyCar kinda lie as, as a young racer just trying to make it in your mind?
0: That was the highest level of racing you know, in that generation of time. Plus, that's, all, that's what we had in our backyard to go watch. I knew of NASCAR, but it was so far away. I went to one NASCAR race in like 85 or 86 and um, other than that i was 10 years old other than that it was all about indy cars and sports cars Um, we had lots of racing around us that uh, was this other world of you know high down force open wheel style racing and and that was really the uh the dream for me and every other kid all the all the names that we knew you know um, you're driving like mario andretti or you want to grow up and be mario andretti or aj Foyt. I had Rick Mears, who came from the off-road racing industry and and made it to to the big time. Robbie Gordon was another one ahead of me. So all things really were pointing towards IndyCar. And then Chevrolet, early in my kind of growth period with them, they said, look, we're we're pulling out of IndyCar. If you want a future in motorsport, you need to move to North Carolina and think of NASCAR. So spring of 97, I bought a one-way ticket and moved to North Carolina and started chasing the NASCAR dream.
1: Yeah, and, and the NASCAR dream panned out to be pretty good. The last time we talked, your, your final full-time season in NASCAR, and you know, I think retirement's a funny word because you, you normally think it's like, oh, full stop, but you've actually gone to faster cars, you know what I mean? Take me through your mindset of retiring from NASCAR specifically.
0: I really felt like I was retiring. I thought I might run some sports car races, maybe go back to the dirt and jump an off-road truck here and there. I had no idea or intentions to uh, to end up full time anywhere, yeah. and you know opportunities presented themselves uh, to to go test an IndyCar. car. Um, I've truly enjoyed the experience of driving the IndyCar. car, and I thought, man, if I guess I'd try a mid schedule if we could find the sponsorship along comes Carvana and it's like, well, I guess we're going IndyCar racing. (laughs) And then after the first year and then attending the Indy 500 in 2021, I was like, man, I really want to do the full schedule. And and here I am back racing for for a championship again.
1: So I know full schedule wasn't on your radar in in November, 2020, but was IndyCar starting to be in the mix as you were looking to transition or, or like you mentioned, you were ready to be done?
0: Yeah, I would say like early spring, I had a chance to drive uh, Chip Ganassi's IndyCar on the IndyGP road course, so it, it it really did start in my my final year of Cup. This idea of of doing something uh, something else, um, and it was more for the experience. And then the you know chasing that experience buzz, uh, it was so much fun and such a rush that it's it just keeps compounding, and, and here we are.
1: You you go from the veteran in NASCAR, the the, the championed guy that everyone's looked to for advice, to the rookie seeking out advice in IndyCar. What was that dynamic change like?
0: I thought that much the two worlds would be much closer. And to my surprise, <laughs> they are so far apart. Um, I am finding that the ovals are closer together and my experience can carry over um, from a driving perspective, car setup, things like that. But you know, they, they really are worlds apart. And um, that, that you know, is humbling at times but it's also very exciting times.
1: We were talking at dinner the other night and we we compared your transition from NASCAR to IndyCar like Michael Jordan's transition from basketball to baseball. Maybe you even have it a little bit more difficult. How tough was it to unlearn NASCAR and learn IndyCar?
0: Yeah, I don't think I figured that out just yet. (laughs) I'm I'm still working on it. And what's really a bummer in an IndyCar on a road course, the uh, default habits that I have are my NASCAR habits and they are really bad habits for an Indy car, and they create more problems. <laughs> and you lock tires and you put it in the wall and, and things like that happen. So um, it, it really is a much different discipline with the inputs you give the car, the way that you're maximizing the downforce that the Indy car has. Um, it's just a, the polar opposite of the way you drive a cup car.
1: So like the bad habits you have in IndyCar, the, the, the good habits that made you a good driver in NASCAR, first time you get on IndyCar track, you're like, well, what's wrong with me? I thought I was doing this right kind Exactly,
0: of yeah, and it's been so drilled in, you know, in, in these um, you know, ways to finesse a NASCAR vehicle. You do not finesse an IndyCar. You drive the you-know-what out of it. <laughs> Every input you give the car is an aggressive one, where the big, heavy, low downforce NASCAR vehicle, you gotta, you gotta take your time with it and, and just kind of drift the car around and ease into the brake pedal. Uh, the IndyCar is quite the opposite.
1: You know, for myself, not being an engineer, I feel like I have a decent idea of how a NASCAR vehicle works. And I had the chance to check out your guys' garage and walk up and down pit road, talk to your crew members yesterday. It was a completely different world. I was hearing phrases I've never heard before. <laughs> right? It's almost like there's a language barrier between NASCAR and IndyCar. Did you deal with any of that just learning different phrases on how to say certain things versus others like you were doing in NASCAR
0: without a doubt <laughs> and now when I talk to my NASCAR friends I can see that I've largely converted to this world and the oh lingo in this world so uh, but fortunately you know racing is a small a small bubble and in uh, people know what you're speaking about but as I'm developing my relationship with Eric Cowden, who's my engineer here which would be similar to the crew chief in NASCAR we're we're spending a lot of time making sure that the language we're using, um, especially on the ovals. Now I'm in an oval and I kind of default back to my, uh, my language and vocabulary from, from NASCAR, just making sure that he understands what I'm, what I'm even saying and what part of the track I'm talking about. So uh, it's been fun, uh, really started in Texas and then the early days here at the Speedway, um, just making sure that you know he definitely knows what I'm saying yeah. <laughs> and, and we can progress the race car. What
1: are some examples of like things you've said, like a NASCAR phrase, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And like, say this instead. You have any?
0: So the, the biggest one is, uh, I, I've always used the term landing. So as you okay. approach a corner, the driver typically describes the way the car turns off the wall. There's usually a transition of the banking that the car uh, you know drives over. And then when the car lands in the corner, um, you know, there's a lot of different forces taking place and the engineers can help you or hurt you in those areas depending on what you're describing. So I, I was talking about where the car was landing and I could see the look on Cowden's face like landing. And then in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm used to driving this NASCAR that travels like four inches <laughs> and this Indy car maybe travels four millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> so he, the landing thing, I'm not sure he's gonna get it. And we talked through it and he goes, yeah, I, I kind of pieced it together that you meant max travel. You know, landing is max travel, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was talking about. So, you know, the vertical loads in the car compresses the most.
1: Yeah, you need like a translator, like to sit in between, like whenever you're having conversation. You mentioned the ovals racing here Indy, Texas. Is that familiar territory? I know, you know, NASCAR and IndyCar are obviously different, but does it give you a little sense of like, all right, this feels familiar?
0: It does, much more than anything I've experienced so far. And as I continue to have more days in the car and we adjust the indie car more, I'm realizing how similar the the worlds are. You know, it's it's coming along and, and I I'm starting to trust my instincts, my ideas for car setup, and as I'm building that confidence, we're discovering, you know, some things that do cross over between the two.
1: That's where I was gonna go. Trust. How do you trust this car?
0: Experience lap yeah. times. <laughs> being in races, being in these moments. I've had a few uh, close calls off a of turn two in the practice sessions that have started so far. And as frightening as those moments have been, they've been great learning moments. So it's just about getting experience.
1: That first moment, I heard Scott, I think it was Scott Dixon told you, yeah, you can run wide open through the corners at Texas. You're like, what, like, like that first moment, what was that like of just, all right, he told me I can do it, I'm just gonna go for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel, Feel like I uh, I knew this would be the big challenge in trusting the car, yeah. way more than my senses. But to have somebody like Scott Dixon to lean on, he's he's not going to send me into a, a bad situation, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, I look at him, make sure we make eye contact, and he's like, "Yeah, flat." Okay, flat. And then now I'm in my own head as I leave pit lane and I'm on the track, and I'm like, I just kind of made an agreement with Scott that I was going to go flat, and I better go flat so you know you just talk yourself into it.
1: Yeah you got to trust like like you mentioned the experience some of those guys uh what's been like leaning on 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 those veterans those teammates?
0: It's amazing I mean the amount of support I have around me the uh the friendship that I had with all these guys prior to coming on board uh, they were friendships I was you know so thankful to to have and those relationships have only grown grown even more so I've really enjoyed these uh Season and a half essentially or this season almost two years that I've, I've been really working with the team and, and building those deeper relationships
1: you know we, we, we we're talking about the speed part of the reason you're running the ovals is the increased safety over the past couple of years. How much does that creep in your mind the the, the presence of of danger being a race car driver
0: in the car I have yet to experience that 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 like real fear. I'm sure when stuff goes wrong and you're crashing, you know, that runs through your veins. But when I put on a helmet and get in a car, I've always told myself if I'm fearing anything, I shouldn't be in there. And that has been my biggest concern with an car because on the outside, looking at it I, in the past, I have not felt the car is as safe as it could be. And I knew if I got in and put the helmet on, I would ignore that. So I was very, measured in my approach trying to come to IndyCar and once I made the you know internal decision that I wanted to try it um, I then really engaged with drivers that were in crashes here at the Indy, Indy race last year um, in with our engineering department talking to Jay Fry, looking at data from IndyCar that they can show and support how much safer the cars are and then once I checked that box from being outside the car Um, I knew I was gonna be fine when I got in it, but I really wanted to be fair to myself and my family to look at things outside of the car and make sure I was comfortable there first.
1: Yeah, you talk about the internal decision you make, but then there's also the family decision. What was that conversation like, especially when you were thinking about going full time, you know, the ovals are more dangerous than the road courses. What was that conversation first like?
0: My wife knows me well, and she could see it slowly building and And she just, as always said, "Look, I trust you. if If you're comfortable with it, I am." Um, and in the beginning, I made her uncomfortable with the idea based on my honest, you know opinion of the cars uh, on ovals. so, you know, as I worked my way into being comfortable, she uh, she supported me through it and, and here we are.
1: What's that trust like in your family?
0: My wife always says, you know, I knew what I signed up for <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm thankful for that and I understand that, um, you know, so I, I, I take great responsibility with that uh, trust she puts in me and, and try to make the best decisions I can.
1: What did she sign up for? Like, how would you describe yourself in terms of chasing interests and, and, and you know, hobbies?
0: One that's not gonna sit still and it's just <laughs> not me. Um, I think she feels like I may have duped her a little bit, and, and rightfully so, because in 2019, when I announced my retirement, I, I really was retiring. And then as 2020 went along and I had a chance to drive the car, she's like, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were done. I'm like, so did I. <laughs> I really, really thought I was. Um, but it's, uh, the experience has been so great, and she sees that in me. She sees you know, how excited I am to get in the car, how excited I am to go to work every day and uh, is just a great supporter of me, and I'm very thankful for that.
1: Your little ones have grown up around the track, and I feel like they, they can understand racing a little bit more now that they're older. What do they think of, of dad being a race car driver?
0: It's hard to say because they don't know me any differently. Um, I, I do feel, though, where, I, where they are with their age and where i am in my career that there are a lot of teachable moments and my wife and i are always trying to apply you know our what we're dealing with and use those moments as teachable moments um, clearly i have my career in, in racing the ups and downs that come with it my wife has a, a an art gallery in in charlotte that's now seven years old and the ups and downs that go with that and you know, we, we feel like we're we're hopefully exposing them to uh, work ethic, morals, um, desire, passion, you know, all these things that, as a parent, you really hope to instill in your children. So, uh, you know, back to your question of what do they think of dad as a driver, I I, I think they believe it's cool, but at the same time, we're uh, we're really just trying to raise two good little humans, and, and I think we're giving them plenty of diversity to look at in yeah. <laughs> two, you know, very busy parents.
1: You mentioned teachable moments, and your career, I feel like, can have a lot of teachable moments. There's ups and downs when it comes to sports. Are there any specific teachable moments you remember having that conversation with your kids like, yeah, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm working through?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean life is such a challenge for all of us and I you know, quickly point out I've had a very, you know, gifted life. I haven't had any illness, you know, to myself to deal with or, you know, my immediate family were healthy, were uh, you know, Put food on the table we have homes to live in like people really have big big problems so you know i I first and foremost recognize that and we try to instill that in our children but the the moments of you know being a good sport handling things correctly um, taking the high road being concerned for others you know those those moments do pop up and you know sadly the last year or two of my cup career didn't go anywhere as i had planned and I, we were in and it's always going on, but for whatever reason, you know that stage of life, we were trying to help our kids, you know, have a positive attitude if things didn't go their way. And I found myself trying to articulate this to my kids at home, and then I'm at the track and have a bad day, and I want to act like a you know five year old and stomp my feet. And I'm like, yeah. "Wait a second, I can't do this. you know this this is what I'm trying to teach at home. So that's just an example of many of these teachable moments that pop up and um, certainly apply to my kids. But I think also, resonate with myself.
1: You know, I heard you mention in the past, your daughter, Lydia, has told you that work is supposed to be fun. How often do you have to remind yourself that, you know, what we're doing at the end of the day, this is supposed to be fun? Uh,
0: yes, she uh, she also went so far to say, um, Dad, you don't need to win, You just you just need to be out there. <laughs> and I'm like, sweetie, I hear you and I love you and that's fantastic, but in pro sports, you gotta win, yeah, you know, like yeah, just yeah. trying to also, you know, teach you know that that moment and that's that's my opinion on on you know pro sports but um they are very kind loving um you know generous kids and um you know she put a huge smile on my face when when she was like you know sharing with me dad it's not about winning you know it's just about having fun like, <laughs> yeah yeah i hear you thank you you know because because it can get lost especially at the pro level i mean we all got into this because it was fun so it's nice to be reminded of those things at time you know from time to time
1: is it hard to enjoy it when it's a pro level, it's your job, it's your life, versus, you know, you could, you could play a sport casually and enjoy it just because it's what you love to do. Is it harder to enjoy it because it's a job?
0: I think so, I really do. Um, and it takes effort to remind yourself um, that it should be fun. And, and I find that I'm somebody that operates at a higher level when I am having fun. And as much as I have worked hard to you know, hone my craft and, and be super laser focused, I've also had to you know, spend time and teach myself how to let go at times and when to let go of certain things and how to take a break and to go be with friends, uh, to really balance that out. Because you know, if, you, if you stay too laser focused, you can just burn yourself out and uh, really make it a, a not fun.
1: Do you put an emphasis on trying to live in the moment?
0: I do. Easier said than done, but right. uh, but I but I do for sure.
1: Yeah. So easier said than done. So so how how tough is it sometimes?
0: You know, I feel like the good moments um, I don't want to sit in them too long, so I try to you know feel them for a second, chase them away, get back to work, and then you know the the negative moments I probably linger in them too long, <sighs> and I, I've got to tell myself to shake it and, and and move on.
1: That's like such a race car driver mentality. It's like you can't let the highs be too high, the lows be too low. When it's all said and done, do you think you, you would have wanted to enjoy it a little bit more, or are you, you, you happy with how you've kind of soaked in your, your, your entire career?
0: Yeah, I think there are moments I wish that I enjoyed more, but I think my evolution as a professional athlete, you know, there, there was just stuff going on that I couldn't control that helped make me who I am. And I think, you know, it's, it's probably more of a global sports um, athlete mindset, you know? I, and then to add to that though, I think we're all different. I mean, some people really do well in, uh, in tough, tricky moments and, and can operate from a place of anger or fear. Others need to be happy and, and you know, roses and butterflies and unicorns and stuff, and there's everything in between. So I think just being true to yourself, and that's kind of, I guess where I was starting this remark is I, I know that I've ended up, I've evolved to where I am today um, and I've certainly had success, so I, I have no regrets looking back, um, but it's it's wild how you evolve and the way your brain works to help you have the focus and balance you need to have.
1: Where are you on that spectrum in terms of needing something to motivate you? Do you need like a lot to, to get you motivated, or is it one thing you kind of look at and be like, all right, this is all I need to, to light my fire?
0: For me, when I find something I'm focused on, I can't stop. <laughs> um, I don't know what makes that you know, switch turn to start with, but when, it, when, it's, when it's on, it's, it is so on.
1: One moment that, that I remember, I can't remember the year, but it, it, I, uh, I talked to you before a Michigan race, and the day before, uh, you biked 108 miles because you didn't have a good qualifying session. So like, are there moments like that where something on the track will happen, you need to find a way to, to burn it off the seam or, or, or to be that much more motivated the next day at the racetrack?
0: I did, being fit has uh, certainly given me the, the physical benefits that everybody can understand, but the, the accountability, um, also the freedoms, certainly being on a bicycle and being able to go out and ride for you know, five hours in beautiful countryside was really good for my head. And you know, I'm not sure it's quite mental health, but you know, mental balance is a big part of of anyone's life. And I, I found I had all this free time at tracks on Saturdays, and and a little bit of time on Fridays. And and not only myself, but many drivers and crew members also just wanted to get out. Didn't want to sit in a hotel room. Didn't want to sit in your bus at the track. And as we got a little cycling group together, it started to grow. We started to notice that. Man, we're in a much better mood, and we're seeing some beautiful areas around these racetracks. And, and you know, yes, the physical, but also that kind of that mental balance was a big part of that.
1: What kind of guy are you if you if you don't work out?
0: I'm better if I work out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up early this morning and just even if it's a uh, a mail it in workout session, <laughs> just just doing it um, puts me in a different mindset all day long.
1: Is it a different type of workout for IndyCar? Can you can you carry over some of the NASCAR workouts to this, or is it, is it different?
0: Yeah, there, there are pieces. Um, the NASCAR side were much longer durations of, of training and lower heart rate, where the IndyCar is a much more demanding vehicle, so I find I'm doing a lot more interval work now, and my cycling's really more of a recovery day, where uh, in NASCAR, that, that was kind of the cornerstone of my, my training program.
1: Is it higher intensity workout?
0: It is, much higher, much more physical, uh, much higher heart rate, and without having power steering, um, you know, the, the forearms, the grip, uh, shoulders and stuff uh, really do come into play in the IndyCar.
1: Watching your heart rate, is there a certain heart rate you don't want to get over when, when you're in terms of working out? Is there, is there a, a zone that you're trying to get in terms of being in the most shape for IndyCar?
0: You need to be in the red, in, in, in the that, red. Uh, that highest zone quite a bit in training uh, because in the car you know that's, that's really where it sits in the races. No power steering, short, short uh, you know, 90 minute races, essentially, and the physicality of, of how aggressive you need to drive the car, um, it, it takes a lot. And then I think something that will help lower my heart rate over time is just getting comfortable in these cars. I'm still on edge and have a higher heart rate, I think, because, because I'm not as comfortable as I could be. Um, and All that just puts me in the red zone in the race.
1: How long do you think it'll take to get full comfort in a race car here in IndyCar?
0: I don't know. I thought I would be much closer than yeah. I am now. The, the ovals though, I mean, it's wild. I look at my heart rate on the ovals and you know, it's, it's much lower and that's where I've developed this, this recent kind of opinion of things. Um, and I, I hope it happens soon because I, I feel like there are times that I've put together you know, a session or part of a race where I'm really comfortable and on the edge of what the car's capable of but staying in that sweet spot for the entire race or all weekends, just, just a challenge right now.
1: Is that frustrating that you, you expected to be a little bit more comfortable than you are at, at this point?
0: Some days it is because, you know, I, I feel like if I have a good, you know, a good practice session before qualifying, that man, qualifying, I'm, I'm gonna have my you know personal best and I'll go out and qualify and not deliver. And then then that frustration sets in. But there are other times where man, I, I lay down the best lap that I can and I'm at the tail of the field. I mean, shoot, that's as good as I can do. You know, I gotta be realistic and honest with myself about it and, and know the challenges that I'm trying to overcome. So, um, you know, expectations are a funny thing. And, you know, some days they get the best of me, sometimes they don't.
1: Thinking bigger picture, how, how much of your future do you have mapped out? Do you want to really get this IndyCar you know career up and running uh, you know how, how far have you looked down the road in terms of, of what you want to do um, for the rest of your career
0: I'm, I'm open to it I mean certainly you know having the team um, open-minded to it sponsors open-minded to it that's that's all part of the journey um, very thankful uh, at a minimum to have had two seasons in IndyCar and if I could extend to three four or five years I mean I, I would I would stick around and do this as long as you know I, I had a opportunity to do so.
1: You'd go as far as five 5 full-time years?
0: I'm only gonna get better. And, yeah. and in my opinion, this 17 race schedule is, uh, and it's only 16 weekends because we have a double header. It's such a better schedule to keep up with in really? the NASCAR days, yeah.
1: Is it, is it tough? Because I know the schedule's sometimes a little bit more spaced out than the week-to-week by NASCAR. Do you like that better, it seems like?
0: Where I am in my, my life today, yes. Huh. <clears throat> it, yeah. it gives a nice balance for us to um, you know, support our kids and, and for me to actually be able to to be at events that my kids are participating in, support my wife, do things as a family unit instead of it just being about me at the track.
1: How much do you need, I'm gonna use the term like the noise, in terms of chasing something, having that carrot in front of you, IndyCar, NASCAR, or even working out, how much do you need something to chase in terms of keeping yourself interested and motivated?
0: I, I think that I enjoy the chase. Um, accountability, <clears throat> I've found, is, uh, is probably the best kind of gut check for me. And if it's knowing that I agreed to meet some guys at 5 a.m. for a bike ride in the morning, um, I'll get up and do it. And, you know, I, I'm always chasing uh, something, but I can talk myself out of it at times. Yeah. And having that accountability, if it's friend groups, if it's a Chad Knauss-type personality, that, you know, and, and looking back on my years in Cup, sure there were some, some tough moments through all of that, but he only wanted the best for me, and his accountability brought the best out of me. Um, so you know, I also need that that accountability piece.
1: Who do you think holds you most accountable?
0: Where I am today, I feel like that's that's more on my shoulders than anything. Um, I've I've always had a part of that in my head, but with age and maturity, I think that you know I'm that strongest force right now.
1: Yeah, you know, in IndyCar, it's you know we mentioned it's a completely a different world. Yesterday I saw you, you, you hop on a scooter, which is completely different than the NASCAR thing. Um, are you a scooter guy now?
0: Yeah, I used to laugh at the scooters and uh, everybody riding one and now I realize how convenient they are to get around the garage area.
1: It, was there a certain moment where you're like, all right, I need to get one of these, everyone else is riding them?
0: Yeah, my first few races we had these motorcycles that required uh, using the clutch and Areas are pretty congested, and the clutch is tricky, and oftentimes stop to sign autographs for fans, and it was just a mess. And there was this scooter sitting there next to the transporter. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. I'll, no one's looking, right? I'll try it. Yeah, yeah. And I tried, it and we're great. So now, now I'm converted.
1: I know you've interacted a lot with the IndyCar fans. What do they think of you moving over here? You know, it's almost for a lot of fans, it's a, a chance to to see you race a little bit longer.
0: It's been great. I, I've been so uh, well received, and I'm so thankful for that. If it's a hardcore IndyCar fan, you know, they're, they're happy that I'm here. And then I can't tell you how many times I've heard fans say, look, I've always been a NASCAR fan and now I'm watching IndyCar. So it's been really neat to help bring new fans to this awesome sport.
1: How often do you keep up with what's going on in NASCAR?
0: I pay attention, especially on my off weeks. You know, I've, I've watched a handful of races, certainly through social media, I can stay connected. So I'm keeping an eye on, uh, on all my friends and certainly the, the Hendrick group. You know, yeah. my heart's still at Hendrick.
1: Well, what is everyone, in the NASCAR world think of, of you racing in IndyCar? I th-
0: I think they, um, first and foremost, are very supportive and, and hope that I'm enjoying myself and having fun. Um, I think they're all very happy that I've chosen to run ovals and that I can better <laughs> represent the, uh, the the NASCAR crowd. You know, I, I see Ryan Blaney quite a bit. We we, we golf occasionally. Um, of course, staying in touch with uh, most of my Hendrick, you know, teammates and such. and. Their curiosity of the cars and the speed and the you know the demands that come with this, um, you know everybody's always curious what's happening over here.
1: Is there any genuine curiosity, like oh, I'm thinking about running, you know, the Indy 500 or, or trying it out? Is there? Have you noticed any of that in in, in the NASCAR world?
0: I feel like I scared away a lot really? of the NASCAR guys, especially <laughs> last year. I feel like this year. I might swing that back, and, and guys would consider maybe doing the double or come and run the 500. What scared them away? My, uh, my stellar performance in <laughs> 2021. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. It really is. And I, I don't know if everybody, you know, I had to be in a special place in my career to go eat humble pie every weekend or go <laughs> go try something different. But for me, like, all that stuff I worried about in the past that would have kept me from doing it, it's behind me. And it's really about the experience, and I'm having a great one.
1: Man, we're excited to, to watch you run the Indy 500. I think that's something that everyone wants to see you do. Um, do you have a milk preference? I know you had to check that, that card that card off.
0: I did. I, I went with whole. I figured that's okay. been around the longest in, in the spirit of tradition, um, whole milk. But I, I did write in. I hope that it's ice cold.
1: Ice cold. Yeah. You're going to need that. Are you a milk drinker? That. It's good for milk yeah, strength.
0: I, I am. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I would like gravitate towards milk after a 500 mile race in a 90 degree day, but you know, that's a great problem to have. I hope I'm faced with it. As
1: long as it's ice cold. Then as long as it's then, ice cold. Yeah, it'll be good. All right, well, Jimmy, it's been uh, it's been great catching up with you and uh, I, I know there's a lot of people who are excited to see you run, not only in this race, but, but to see you behind the wheel of a race car. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's good having you
0: here. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you, good to see you.
1: There you have it. That's the conversation with Jimmy Johnson. So many things. I really feel like he led us into his world. And that was so cool. Even just to hear small details like, you know, the language barrier, landing versus max travel. I had no idea that when he was retiring from NASCAR, he was done. You know, we had heard the rumors like, oh, yeah, he's going to be testing a Formula One car. Maybe he's going to be going into open wheel. But it was interesting to hear that when we were hearing those rumors, it was just starting to creep into his own mind. Like he didn't even know. Um, and, and that was really cool that he, he, he peeled back the layers and kind of gave us a true timeline as to what his retirement from NASCAR looked like. Uh, one thing that I wanted to know, and he, he, he kind of answered it was always looking for something to chase and whether that be a career in NASCAR, IndyCar, or even fitness, I'd be curious to see, you know. If Jimmy truly does go five years in IndyCar, what's after that? Is he going to continue to chase something, or, or or can he afford to hang it up and 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 have a, a lazy day at home and and kind of kick back and enjoy his career? I think that's something that we're going to have to continue to track with Jimmy. So many interesting things and takeaways from that conversation. And again, what a cool location that we had in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum. Uh, Luke Edwards and his entire team were were so fantastic and helpful um, in helping all of us set up. Uh, Amy Stock, who's Jimmy Johnson's longtime PRF, won the Jim Chapman Award that weekend, uh, helped set this thing up. Matthew Dillner, Michael Caldwell, James Brozan, absolute pros hauling the Chevy Suburban all the way down from North Carolina, getting everything set up. And we, we literally set this interview up with cameras and audio and lighting for four hours a day before. I mean, they, they really focused on every little minor detail to put this all together. And, you know, we've got some more guests in the work for the next couple of episodes of Next Level that I can't wait to share. Um, but until then, uh, I appreciate everyone listening. I've been Andrew Curland. This has been Next Level. Next Level is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Andrew Curland. executive producer, Mike Davis. Artwork is by Sean Sen, Broadcast audio is credited to NBC.
0: Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook,
1: and Instagram. Dirty Mo.